Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're joined by chicklet, rom-com, hilarious and all-round witty author Vari McFarlane. Her genres tend to be defined as chicklet, but it becomes clear during the chat that both of us don't really like that as a definition. Also, we talk about first pages and her fetishization. Uh, I think I got there, fetishization of opening lines. Uh, and you can also hear her pretty frank views about the structure of storytelling and why we need to be honest that it's not all as glamorous as sometimes it appears. I think we should all be honest that there is a lot more of contrivance in these things. You know, it, it, your plot idea is not necessarily going to fall out of the heavens like a meteorite for you. You are going to have to think, oh, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in these themes. What could happen? within those themes what kind of do you know what I mean you you have to sit there and design it so stay there it's all on the way with Vari McFarlane in this week's writer's routine yep thank you so much for listening my name is Dan Simpson this is the show that takes you inside the working day of a successful writer to try and pick up any snippets of a secret of their success for ourselves. now this week our guest is Vari McFarlane She's published five novels. Her first, You Had Me at Hello, it was a huge bestseller and she's really refined the art of the rom-com novel ever since, really. Her new book is called Don't You Forget About Me. It's all about Georgina, whose new boss at work turns out to be an ex-flame, but he doesn't remember her at all. And rom-com hilarity ensues. Awkward, I know. How is it all going to work out? It's a brilliantly well-told, structured, sculptured, uh, and as I say, a really witty tale. Now, don't just take my word for it. Minnie Driver, Marion Keys, Louise O'Neill, they're all fans of her stories. And as I say, she's refined the art of the rom-com ever since. Because for her, there's quite a lot of contrivance in it, especially with romance. You know, people need to meet. They need to have a reason to not be together. Probably at the end, they need a reason to finally get together. And Vari thinks that we should be a little more honest about that plan and that structure when we chat about these books. Now, we talk about that in a sec. Also, we think about how intricately her plotting is. You know, for a type of story where threads need to turn, they need to twist and things need to surprise, you can hear what she wants from a rom-com. 
which pretty much actually is just the element of surprise and believability too that's really important for Vari you can hear all about that and we chat about how well she knows her year of writing five novels in has she figured out when she needs to finish the first draft in order to meet the deadlines does she know what fans want to see from a Vari McFarlane novel Uh, we'll get your top writing tips in just a sec as well including one from a brand new novelist who's a proper student of writing that's on the way after we dive into it with Vari, starting with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I'm worried my answer is not going to be exciting enough here, but uh, it's my front room. And I work on uh, the sofa in my front room and I've got a very on-brand for a chiclet writer, a pink MacBook Air. Um, and so, yeah, it's just my uh, shabby chic Victorian. <laughs> I live in a Victorian semi-house and uh, it's, yeah, it's that room. Well, talk to me about the shabby chic walls then. The what, shabby what chic you... walls, I have um, a print, uh, an Edward Hopper print. Um, not one of the famous ones, not Nighthawks. It's um, like um, a woman in a cinema uh, just outside of cinema um, and mantelpiece and a big mirror and um, yeah some, a big potted palm I'm very into like potted palm or potted fern I don't know which it is big spiky plant anyway <laughs> any bookshelf in your shabby chic no no bookshelf no 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 there's no no books um, my other half complains about this but all the books have vanished to upstairs so we've got a bit more space downstairs so yeah so that's where you write tell me about the working day then uh, the moment you wake up Yes. To the moment you go to bed. Oh my god! On a day. Oh my god! When you are sat down to write, just idly talk me through it. <laughs> uh, it involves large amounts of black coffee, big cafetiere black coffee. Um, I tend to start the day with emails, uh, social media. Like um, I've got a group of friends I chat to on Facebook. Pick up messages on Facebook, Twitter. God, I don't want to hear my editor to hear all of this. Um, so there's a kind of social media. I'm very, I'm very much someone who revs up to it. Unless I'm absolutely right on deadline, I sort of like to kind of circle around it and then pounce. Um, And then I'll probably start writing about nine o'clock. Then I write pretty much through to lunchtime. Then when I stop at lunchtime, I will like read news sites and stuff while I eat my lunch. And then I'm back to it till pub o'clock. Until <laughs> pub o'clock. Until pub o'clock. I'm sorry. This uh, this is. I just feel this is not exciting enough. No, I, they never are. To, it's okay. That's the point of the show. Okay. It's okay. Uh, so let, let's kind of the rest of the sh- the episode. What we chat about is we we unpack that. Um, okay. We unpack the hours before you get to the pub. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so the first. You, you, that, 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 <laughs> I think that's a bit too kind. Um, <laughs> So talk to me about the first three hours then. Well, actually, no, about the whole day. Is there anything in those that day of writing that helps you get things done? Do you think you have any, you know, any idiosyncrasies, any little patterns that you've picked up along the way? I mean, you're five um, books down now that just help you get um, that story. Do you need music on in the background? No. Oh, God, no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm not the worst with distractions. So sometimes if it's not happening for me at home, what I do is I really think walking helps with, for, it does for me with writing, fresh air and particularly f- to solve plot problems. I will walk into Nottingham City Centre, which is about 45 minutes walk from my house. So I walk in and then go to like Cafe Nero or something. And I actually find the hubbub of a ca- coffee shop can be quite useful it, it's a very finely balanced thing if you get a load of loud students at your next table and they're all shouting across each other then you either got to move table or it's ruined and you've got to leave um but what i find useful is one of the reasons i hate first drafts compared to uh, subsequent drafts is that um i was a journalist on my local paper and the journalist brain is you quite like having something there to work with so what i never do 
you hear some writers say never look back first draft just keep going keep going don't look back I can't for a moment do that I always always go back to what I wrote the day before and I sit there and edit that and think about that and that's what kind of then pushes me into writing the next bit so you've got your three hours in the morning mm-hmm. then what are you saying about another three hours maybe in the afternoon yeah yeah I mean if you're on deadline then all of the rules are over and it's <laughs> yeah. basically seriously I'm not joking it's you go to sleep at kind of two, three in the morning writing and then you just wake up in the morning and you pull the laptop onto the bed and you just carry on. Like literally, I just open the laptop, carry on with with black coffee if I can get my other half to make it for me. I think we're kind of, I don't know, I must be over 50 episodes deep of this show now and and I've learned to stay away from deadline chat. <laughs> because not only, you know, as you said, all rules are out the window, but like yeah. I kind of find it throws authors into an in an odd panicked reverie yeah so, yeah, yes, so uh, yes. let's push that aside for a second when you're getting your first draft done long before deadline day yeah um how, how many words do you reckon you get done in a day of, of say about six hours of writing oh god i i don't know i mean it massively depends whether or not you're in a bit of a book that's flying or a bit of the book that's stopped um i would have thought 600 words probably which is massively low compared to a lot of authors a lot of authors will tell you thousand two thousand but i tend to be very fussy about the words that i've produced which means the smaller number and you, you say that you rev up to your writing and you finally yeah, get yeah. going at about yeah, nine yeah. o'clock or yeah. something how do you know <clears throat> what the first chunk that you're writing that day is are you directly picking up from what you've written before? i write yeah i do uh, yeah i'm basically a chronological writer not always because um with my first book you had me at hello it had kind of key some key scenes in it that i knew the whole story hinged upon and so i call them spotlight scenes and sometimes what i'll do is if i'm very keen to write a spotlight scene or i'm stuck on what i'm doing chronologically i'll go forward and write that special scene because that means when it sits there you can just work over it and work over it and work over it so there's a particular scene i think with my my new book don't you forget about me there's a particular scene near the end that's quite key to everything that happens in the book and anybody who's read it will know the one i'm referring to now that is a scene that i wrote pretty early on and then i could just keep editing and drafting redrafting as i went um, rather than just trying wait to get to it and write it at that point but other than that sorry yes i'm chronological I had a first draft deadline in January this year. Um, I know the editing process for the the book I'm on at the moment is going to run up to kind of spring. Um, I know that I pretty much need to be thinking about the next one in summer. Part of the thing is with the creative process, um, I just put an extra week on the structural edit because I felt it needed it and my editor agreed. You know, so everything's subject to change all the time, I would say, really. As long as you come out every year, as planned. But and you know, what's, you've already mentioned that you you don't mind having a forty five minute long walk yes. to break up your day. Oh my god, it's more than don't mind. Like it's actually essential to the creative process. I think walking. Is there anything else that you think is just for you? Perhaps is there something in your writing day that perhaps aspirant writers not not a tip, not a bit of advice, just you know something that helps you go. I know this isn't this is not an interesting answer, but it is the it is the exercise, it is the walking. There is a particular uh, pub that I pass. I don't go in it, I should say. There's a particular pub that I pass that's kind of about five minutes walk from my home, and it's amazing how many times I've sold a plot. It's at the exact moment whenever it happens as I walk past it, I think, oh yeah, here we go. It's the five minute thing, like the minute you switch off consciously trying to solve a problem five minutes away from the house passing this place I'm like oh right there it goes it's almost like like a marble dropping down a pipe or something it's like there's the answer so yeah for me the big thing is get away from the screen 
Um, I, guess, I think you solve a lot of plot problems in your sleep as well. I think it's two things. It's exercise or doing absolutely nothing and sleeping. And those things like sort of magically fix. They, Stephen King calls it the boys in the basement. Like basically letting your subconscious try and fix something for you. Always happy for a Stephen King shout, by the way. <laughs> the new book you need is- to get him on here. <laughs> uh, the new book is Don't You Forget About Me. Yes. Talk to me about the first moment that the idea that became this story came into your head. Um, um, <laughs> this is a mm, this is of all my books to say what's the specific moment. I don't really have specific moments. I tend to where I start is I um, take a heroine because it's romantic comedy, and I tend to think what's her challenge? What's a, what's a a, a life I have not lived what's a challenge that I would like to explore in fiction so um, in this one it's kind of goes right back to my first book really in that she's somebody who has life has gone awry and I realize um, Dennis Potter said all writers are always writing about the same topic they're obsessed with one topic and they write about it in a different way each time and I think if it doesn't sound too high flown I think my one is regret I'm obsessed with regret and once again we've got someone who her life has not turned out the way she wants and she had this very uh, defining experience when she was 18 years old and then so age 30 she's kind of trying to track back and figure it out but in terms of you know that I, I, I don't have that moment of like it all comes down from the heavens and I go I know I'm gonna write about this uh, me and my editor had an awful lot of chats about don't you forget about me more than I've had with any other book um, because I sort of we were hedging around what could have happened to her that would be so defining and then I'm trying not to spoil her eyes here as well obviously um, and then um, we chatted about how that could actually work in the co- context of a romantic comedy so without being too Freudian um, <laughs> talk to me more about the aspect of regret that idea why do you think you keep coming back and unpacking this um, well I wrote my so I left the local paper when I was 30 30 31 um, and I had just got to the age where I, I had started to think, oh, this isn't quite what I thought I was going to be doing at 30, working in a local paper. Um, and um, I, I, th- I, I got very into the kind of idea of nostalgia and the idea of like realising you could that, that you might regret things that had happened. And I think basically 30 is the first age you can have proper grown up regrets. I think in the 20s, everything is still up for grabs. I mean, by all means, suggest to me something you could re- regret in your 20s is unfixable. Most things are still fixable at 20. When you start to get over 30 and you sort of certain careers aren't open to you and, you know, all the rest of it, then things feel a bit different. So I think that is why I kind of, well, I don't know, something in your emotional DNA that you probably can't analyse. But I think that it was very much for me about... Yeah, just kind of looking back on life and realising that there are windows that open to do things and there are windows that close. The, the idea that you are sitting down and almost almost brainstorming what your ne- next plot's going to be is quite a fascinating one. Is that something that you've learned? Because I would imagine that, that your first novel, You Had Me at Hello, mm-hmm. uh, kind of came about a bit more organically. Yeah, but there is a lot of... A little bit, but there is a lot of... Um uh contrivance as well and i think people don't want to hear that about fiction and i think it's a shame because i think i think we should all be honest that there is a lot more of contrivance in these things you know it it, your plot idea is not necessarily going to fall out of the heavens like a meteorite for you you are going to have to think i'm interested in this i'm interested in these themes what could happen within those themes what kind of do you know what i mean you you have to sit there and design it so did you specifically do that for this story well Yes, to some extent, and I, I do it with all my stories. It's like it, it doesn't it doesn't just come to me in a rush of oh yes. I mean, for example, you had me at hello. Um, uh, it, it really came from having a good, really good male friend at university, 
And I, I remember saying, oh, it's a real shame because it's not on social media. Um, so we're not, you know, I nowadays the way you stay in touch with people is social media. And um, I suddenly thought, I thought, you want to write a romantic comedy? And I thought, how amazing, how, how amazing and terrible and bizarre would it be if the love of your life was somebody you met at university? Because university was a very intense, wonderful experience for me. And I thought, God, what if, what if, what if? And I think that's why fiction writers, I think, have a lot in common with your um, habitual liars in that we take things that have sort of happened to us and um, and then we what if them into something that's big enough for a novel. So I what if it was entirely platonic, me and my mate Mark, but I what if it into, hang on a minute, if that had actually happened, that'd be massive. And then uh, I made the um, heroine a court reporter and that was totally contrived of like, if you can't come to a conclusion in your private life ever, it's quite interesting to have a job where you see verdicts handed down three times in the morning. So I thought, oh, that's a clever little play. So it's, it's, that's, it's, that's how you kind of put all the chess pieces on the board, I think, that you think it through like that. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We'll be back with more from Vari in just a sec. Now, very quickly, before we get your writing tips on the show, if you love what we do, if you want to hear more of it, please head over to Apple Podcasts, uh, if that is how you listen, and leave us a review. I know that quite a lot of people have done that already. Really appreciate that. If that's you, it's fine. Bear with us just two seconds. If you've not left us a review yet, and you have been with the show for quite a while, please give it a try. It takes just a few seconds. Find Writer's Routine on Apple Podcasts. Drop us five stars. I promise that's all I'll ask from you. It really helps the show out. Also, you can follow us at uh, Writer's Pod over on Twitter or on Writer's Routine on Instagram as well, and that'll keep you up to date with everything that we're doing. Now, if you head over to writersroutine.com, you can click the contact form while you're there and leave us a writing tip of your own. You know, something that's really helped you get your story down, that's wriggled it out of your mind, got it down onto the page. Tina in New Orleans has been on. She says, if you're ever feeling stuck at a point in your book, if you can't figure out what's happening next, if it's all got a bit jumbled in your head, give the home a little clean. Tidy house, tidy mind and all of that. I completely understand that Tina it makes perfect sense you know in all of the cleanness um, that can help 
I iron through your story quite literally uh, but it's also something else to do isn't it and uh, you know when you, when we do do exercise when we do take our brain off the story uh, it carries on ticking over in the back of our mind and quite often the solution to the problem will present itself now this is pretty amazing right where I put the podcast up online onto a place called Acast I can look very specifically at all the details and the listener figures uh, about the show and incredibly where people are listening to this show in. Like I know that we've got one listener in Chile. If that's you, hello. I know that we've got quite a few in India. Brilliant. Uh, Ranging from Japan to South Africa as well. It just amazes me and boggles my mind that what I'm doing quite often in the studio here in London is listened to all around the globe every single week. And and that's reflected, I think, in the writing tips that we've got. Like, Look at this. This is from Jimmy in Melbourne, who says, read something that's the complete opposite of what you're writing. If you're writing historical fiction, read lighthearted nonfiction. If you're writing biography, read sci-fi. Just give your brain a break from the ideas in that genre. Again, that makes complete sense. Thanks, Jimmy. You know, a change is as good as a rest and all that. If you've got a writing tip, please do fire it over to the contact page on the website and I might read it out in the next few weeks. My name is Namwali Serpel and my first novel, The Old Drift, is out with Hogarth Press. My writing tip is to read your work aloud to yourself when you edit. It will help you hear repetitions and redundancies and clutter in a way that reading it with your eyes will not. Now, if you missed Namwali's episode last week, hugely recommend that you do go back and give it a listen. She's a proper student and now teacher at a university of the craft. It's packed with really insightful advice, really handy little tidbits. Uh, Find it and you can learn loads more about her new novel, The Old Drift. Uh, It's on the website. That's where you can send your writing tip as well over to me at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to it with Vari McFarlane then. Her new novel is Don't You Forget About Me. Uh, she's published five books so far, all rom-com, chiclet. And we'll talk about why neither of us really like the word chiclet in just a sec. Also, you can hear about what she wants from a rom-com and how she insists on conflict, surprise and big declarations in what she writes. She thinks that that is the secret of a good love story. Now we get back into it talking about the very first page of a story. Because I'll be honest, I'd kind of completely forgotten how important the first page is now. Especially with Amazon being so huge in book selling, you can click the little look inside button, can't you? You can have a little sneak peek. And it's so easy, if you don't like that first line, to move on to something else, to forget about that book. So the first page, and your very first word really, it's more important now than ever. And Vari thinks so too. So let's find out how she copes with it. Just how vital is it for her? I will be completely honest with you here. Um, I am. Uh, I very much fetishise opening pages. I think they really matter. Um, and I want them to hit a certain tone. And I want a reader to think, I know I'm going to be told a story I want to read here. And also to hit a tone and hit a tone and a mood. And I'm really looking for that. So quite often when I've got a broad idea... I will just dive in and write. So that prologue you uh, refer to in the beginning of Don't You Forget About Me, that is something I just dove in and wrote. I think before I even knew the there is um, the cliffhanger at the end of the prologue, before I even knew what happened after that cliffhanger, I'd written that prologue cause I, because I wanted to convince myself that this is worth writing and um, that this is going to work. So I would write that. Then I have to go away and, as you say, work out what actually literally happens to the rest of the book. So I think what I do is 
open up a word file and uh, give an outline to my editor. And that's the point where I force myself to think, dum 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 what actually happens here. So with a romantic comedy, you're looking very hard at putting people together, like how you how your uh, love interest and your protagonist interact is a big part of it. Because if you think about it in a romantic comedy, the whole deal is they don't realise they're in love till later on. So you have to contrive why they're spending time together. So that's the first thing. What, how are you going to get your... Like, it, it was a brilliant piece of advice I was given with uh, You Had Me at Hello. It was a, a woman who critiqued my novel and uh, pretty much taught me how to write a book. But she said to me, Fari, you'll find one of the hardest things is working out how to put characters who need to be in a room together in a room. And it sounds the most bizarre thing because you think, well, it's fiction. I just make up while they're all in a room. That is, she was absolutely right. It's like to constantly, you know, that's why an awful lot of rom-coms, people are in the same office because then they turn up every morning at nine o'clock and you don't have to contrive how they're going to be together. But obviously to avoid it feeling samey in the genre, you can't write five novels about people who happen to share an office. So with this one, it would have been, oh, well, what if he comes back from, you know, the love interest is from Dublin. He's got this reason to be back in Sheffield. And so it goes from there. What do you know about the story before you sit down to write it? You've got that initial I, what if. How are you answering that? The analogy I always use is um, because, because other people who are, keen on writing books one of the standard questions they ask you is how much do you plot before you start and uh, obviously that's personal to every author there is not one one standard answer um, I always use the analogy of a train journey you buy a ticket you know the destination you know the major stops along the way but you're probably going to see some smaller stops you didn't expect I think that it's a bit fatal to plot out every single thing that happens for two reasons first of all you lose your will to write the thing and second of all you don't leave yourself any room to be surprised because it's amazing how often you'll be writing it and something will occur to you or write it um, characters start speaking to you and I think that that's without sounding too pretentious those moments are, are gold and you want to leave the space to breathe in the manuscript for that to happen um, so when I give um, an outline to my editor it's basically, uh, it's, it's not exhaustive by any means. It's just like, right, okay, so in this book, um, Georgina and Lucas met at, at uh, sixth form. They've not seen each other since they're 18. Here's where she is now. She's working in Sheffield's Worst Trattoria. She's got this terrible uh, comedian, stand -up, wannabe stand-up comedian boyfriend. Things are going badly. Um, she gets a job at the pub. And so basically what a long-form version of what you'll read on the back of the jacket. Um, and then Martha will come back and say, what about this and what about that? And we will thrash it out a little in a little bit more detail. But there's a lot of trust. I mean, really, they give you a deadline and then you go away and, you know, yeah, you make it happen. And, and I mean, that is partly when you're talking about your daily routine. Part of the thing is you'll just hit a stop where you'll go, oh, I can't have another chapter set in the pub. What can I do now? What do I do here? And it's that, that how to get plot wise, how to jump from all the stones is actually the hardest part, I think, of writing a novel. So two things said I'd like to unpack. First thing, so your train ride. Yes. And, and your ability to be surprised. Yes. Um, how frequently does that happen? And then when you are surprised, say you're on this train journey and there's a little stop that you've never heard of before, how willing are you to devote a lot of your time to get off the train and then have a look around and see what's um, there? I Well, that's a very interesting question. And I think it's very uh, specific to... The particular thing that happens so I, I can think of a perfect example my second book is looking at you I created a obnoxious best friend of the love interest um, who uh, was a minor character and then more and more as the story developed I realised he was a really useful antagonist I really enjoyed writing him because he was super obnoxious and I realised that he 
if he also took an interest in our heroine, that would create a lot of interesting tension. So he became a bigger character just because on the page, he was like bouncing off the page and I thought he is worth more time. Um, so that's an example of a small stop. Um, you do have to be careful, which is another thing that I didn't know until I started writing novels. You can't, if you create too many uh, diversions, subplots, subcharacters, you very rarely have the time to do them justice. And one of the things that does not create a satisfying feeling for a reader is things that don't go anywhere or people that that turn up and you think something's going to happen with them and they go away again if you look at all the really celebrated um novels and films there's that wonderful sense that everything mattered and everything had a meaning you don't often have people scudding in scudding out and then you know do you know what i mean it's so you've got to be careful i think about being a feather for any wind there are things that i want in a rom-com and i don't know if i'm unusual or you know it's um I, I don't know if these things have to be in a rom-com. I just know that they're what I would like to be in a rom-com. So I want there to be conflict. I want there to um, be um, excitements. And I want there to be, I want there to be a big, I want there to be some big declaration moments. Um, so I'm very conscious, like in terms of the genre of hitting certain beats. And there were certain things, if I don't get them in a rom-com, I, I would probably feel quite deprived. Um, you know, for, for example... With every rom-com, anybody can invent two attractive people who want to sleep with each other and then by the end of the book have them sleep with each other. It's not fundamentally interesting. What's interesting is why are these two people so right for each other but think they're so wrong for each other? That's kind of the game you're playing with all of them. Um, and the idea of like how do they change each other's lives? One thing that does need to be in Chicklet rom-com to make it readable <laughs> i don't really like chiclet by the way i don't really like that as yeah, a thing i know that's what, what it's yeah, called I d my feeling i know a lot of people quite rightly have their objections to the, the phrase chiclet i feel that the best way to uh overturn the label of chiclet is just to write very fine books that people call chiclet and yeah. then that's the way to decontaminate the label anyway that's derailed me so one thing <laughs> one thing that very fine chiclet does need to have <laughs> is uh, believable characters. Yes. Otherwise, no one's going to carry on turning Absolutely. the pages. How do you ensure yours are? Why am I rooting for the guy and the girl? Why do I want them to get together? Emotional truth. Emotional truth. And um, one of the things before I was writing romantic comedy is I got a bit fed up of um, the villain, the rom-com villain and the rom-com hero, which weren't really people you'd meet they weren't really recognizable males to me they were just you know these ridiculous christine gray avatars um and i think that um writing people with an emotional honesty and having an ear for dialogue i think all of that helps you know it's, it's got to feel like a person you would meet in real life that, that's what i would say i've told nobody this i am so fussy and so pathetic there is one line of dialogue from a subsidiary character in my second book that doesn't to me sound like a thing that that character would have said and it still tweaks me if i ever look at that page i'm like you didn't get that line from michelle right and i, I am incredibly anal about it all being right in terms of the dialogue and whether i mean that doesn't mean that i think objectively that i'm brilliant at dialogue it just means that for me for my own personal internal standards it has to sound like that character and it has to feel real and i and i go back over dialogue cutting it down thinking nobody nobody says that <laughs> what about not the dialogue though what about the rest of it what about the, narr the, the, the narration what about the tone what about the voice that I'm reading this in how well, much are you thinking about don't you about... forget about me as first person and you had me hello my first novel was first person and I saw a talk by David Nichols and he said a very well thing that landed is very true for me which in, in that he said that your first novel tends to always be first person because it's more immediate and to be honest it's easier it's easier first person in some ways um, and then he said you 
you'll never write first person again until you feel that a story really demands it. And that's exactly been true for me. I was like, never again, never again with first person. Because the problem with first person, of course, is that you can't get out of your character's head and do anything else or go anywhere else. Um, you're kind of stuck. In, it's, it's like a GoPro. It's, a, it's the narrative equivalent of a GoPro, isn't it? Um, and um, with this one, for reasons of the plot that I won't go into, if I felt very much that had to be first person. Sorry, I've totally forgotten the question. Now. No, that's all right. It's about the specific <laughs> words on the page, and and not just not just the dialogue. I oh, mean, so I mean, narrate. Yeah, the n- but, narrative. But look at voice. this work here. So uh, look at this word. So the third word here, truculent. <laughs> it's a fantastic word, and it's not something that you would immediately write. How much have you sat there and thought? That's the way I talk and think, to be honest. So <laughs> that's d- not me trying to be clever. No, I no, 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 no. That's um, fine. I'm, I'm just I'm just curious how much authors sit there and. Th- you know consider the words that they are writing um quite a lot um but it's interesting isn't it i mean they talk a lot about narrative voice i found it very difficult i uh, my favorite of my books is who's that girl which is my fourth book and one of the reasons i love it so much is it's the first book i wrote without a gimmick and a lot of people might be surprised at that because they go well she didn't use gimmicks i actually did um you had me hello is a two time frame book Here's Looking at You is two points of view. So it's the male point of view of the romance and the female. And then my third book, I, I um, it, like um, interspersed it with comic book expert excerpts because the heroine is writing a comic. Who's That Girl was the first book where it's like, you're going to start, tell a story about two people that meet and they're going to fall in love over the book and it's going to be exciting and then it's going to finish. And I remember being really spooked. I mean, I remember saying to Martha, it's going to be awful. And she's like, it won't, it's fine, you're fine. But it, it felt like taking the stabilizers off my bike. And then the start of Who's That Girl is um, the heroine is in a wedding and she's checking her phone. And the first line of the book is, life through a phone is a lie. And that was me being, for the first time, confident to go, sit down, I'm going to tell you a story and you're going to like it. But finding that narrative voice, finding that voice that you are comfortable to write in that feels real but feels authoritative and feels like it's got your personality in it, that's really hard. It's really hard. It's one of the hardest things about this whole job, I think. So you've clearly found the voice for Chicklet. Thank you. Do you think? Do you think now five books in... Not that I'm saying you should. Do you, do you think you should? <laughs> do you think you should just stop now? Give us all a rest. You're right. You're right. <laughs> do you think you could turn your hand to another genre competently? I would, I've thought about this. I'd love it because with you had me hello. I actually had two manuscripts on the go at the time. I had written um, the the rom com, and then I had written a book, um, a thriller set in a newsroom called The Story. By the way, I still think The Story is an amazing title for a, a thriller based. Um, a thriller based in a newsroom because the whole idea is actually that the story is actually a shaggy dog story the journalists are chasing it doesn't turn out to be true but it's all about how does it feel to be inside a story of of other people's creation so yes I was massively into that and I would love I would absolutely love to hop genres actually because I really like um, writing male characters as well you know I, I, I love the rom-coms but I, I would have no problem with writing male protagonists well I don't I don't think I would Maybe the critics will tell me quite different. <laughs> and that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Massive thanks to Vari for coming on the show. You can find out loads more about her brand new book over at writersroutine.com. While you're there, please fire over your writing tip or get in touch about whatever you fancy, really. It's writersroutine.com. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love for you to give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe while you're there as well. And give us a follow on Twitter at writerspod.com 
writer's routine on Instagram and then you'll get pretty much daily motivational quotes to keep you going and to keep you thinking of us while you're writing. Now next week we're chatting to crime author Lucy Whitehouse all about her move to more procedural police novels. It's a really interesting take on the, on the standard thriller tropes. You don't want to miss it. It's next week on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Bye! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.